Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. Hello, everybody. How you doing out there? Are you guys beginning to feel uh, Brexit or just the uh, warm breeze of spring knocking on the door? We have the talented Eva Steinrem on the show today. But before we get to that, I just want to uh, say hello to all the new listeners out there. I just spent five days in Stockholm talking to a grip of people in, around, and uh, outside the two art fairs and the uh, Stockholm Art Week, the art fairs being supermarket and market. I also had the pleasure of appearing on a great Swedish podcast, which is called Danielson and Carlson, which was fun as hell. And I will be putting up that conversation on this platform next week as a little bonus episode. I was also up there recording a top secret project, which will be coming up in the next little while. Stay tuned. But yeah, if you are new to the program, then welcome. This is a conversation show about the arts and about making art. That's what we do here. But like I said, we have Eva Steinrum on the show today. She's a very interesting artist who uh, works mostly within the uh, photographic mediums. She is a Swede living in London. She's been there for many years and you've, uh, you've almost certainly seen her work before. It utilizes found imagery, but in a much tighter more focused way than uh, most of the found imagery work that you might have seen. And it speaks a lot to uh, photographic representation, the gaze, and uh, issues around uh, the women's role in culture and society. But uh, I'm going to let her tell the rest from here. So please enjoy my chat with Ava. it's hard to keep track of the original reasons why one started being an artist. Yes. Yeah. And so it's interesting to discuss, you know, in, in actuality, artists are very not, are not very emotionally open people Yeah. in a lot of ways, even though they're supposed to be, or at least not all of them are. And so there's this whole question about like, you become more guarded as you go on and you mm -hmm. get more professionalized, more formalized, you know, and it, it starts, these questions start to arise about like, why do we actually do this? Yeah. Yeah. Is this even fun? You know, cause we got yeah. into it for fun ostensibly, or at least like some sort of creative life, et cetera, et yes, cetera. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. But did you go, did you go to art school? Yes, I did. In London? Yeah, I did. So I studied first at the Slade School of fine art that's a good one right um yeah it's it was great it was brilliant it was um it was great i mean before that i went to st martin's for a year as well i forget i've watched in so many years of art education that i've forgotten so that was <laughs> that was something called a foundation course yeah so i did one year at st martin's and then i went four years to the slade because it was one of the few um, bachelor's courses that was four years which was quite extensive what is it otherwise is it three, three. yeah that's unusual isn't it mm, it is unusual i don't know if they still do it i'm not sure hmm. Did it, but what, it was that was a good thing i think it gave you some proper time to figure things out 
Well, it's funny. One of the things I noticed in art school is that there's really a big divide between the people who are pretty serious and the people who have an idea about being serious but don't know how to do it or just don't have the, you know, for whatever reason, if they're too young or, you know, just not ready, et cetera, it tends, yeah. you know, it, it just tends to, to be, yeah. you know, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a valuable time and you only realize how valuable it is afterwards when yes. you're in the real world you're like, oh shit, you know, I yeah. have to deal with all these other things. Yeah. No, this is very true. I think that's the case for almost everyone, unless you come in as a mature student, all right. probably. How old were you when you started? Um, I was, <laughs> I'm trying to think, I suppose uh, 19 or, yeah. Yeah, that's about the age I was when I started and I definitely messed around yeah. the first few yeah. years. I had an idea about what I wanted to do, but I did not have uh, the proper work attitude yeah. of but what I would think now. Yes, but maybe you always think back and think that you didn't do enough because then after I did this course, I had two years out and then I went to the Royal College which was a another two-year course at the Royal College of Art in London as well and um and after I left that I thought oh I didn't pay, pay proper <laughs> attention like I could have done so much more and what was I doing <laughs> so, I guess it also makes sense too that like even if I look back at my practice six or seven years ago I also wasn't serious then even though I was already long out of school yeah so I guess that's just the nature of it too when I you're think working. it's just the nature of it we, yeah. we could always look back and think we could have done more in some ways but yeah um I guess it keeps us things moving. happen I think even if we aren't that conscious mm. of them happening as well what was the impetus um, to go to school you like where did it start were you in in like the i don't know if you call it gymnasium in england or if it's high school yeah um yeah i think at the end when i was at school um in in london i i just got really into art and i remember having some free time during the school days because i didn't have um huge amounts of classes the last year mm. and um and I spent all that room all that time in the art room um and I had a good art teacher who was all about working with your ideas so there was no project to to do so it was all about coming up with your own project and that's when it really um became really fun and inspiring for me and I decided that I wanted to go and spend a year doing this foundation course um, to just kind of have a year out doing some art. That was the initial idea. Right, to try it out, to see if it was a... Yeah, I actually thought that I'd probably end up doing something else. Right. I think at that point. Yeah. But once I was doing that, you know... There is the, always that the one interest, The interest kind of increased once I was doing it in full time, in mm. the course. And uh, it just got more interesting. I definitely noticed that there is, there's, there's two things that kind of seem to happen to almost everybody. One is there's a teacher somewhere which opens a door for you and kind of talks about like, this is what, uh, this is what it might look like to be a professional. This is what it's like to develop ideas. Yeah. You know, cause you're right. A lot of the times at the beginning, it's like, go make a landscape. Yes, exactly. Go make yeah. a portrait. Go do double exposures. You know, I come from a photo background, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 
And, and, and that doesn't necessarily help you develop ideas. It just lets you ape a bunch of styles. Yes, exactly. And see if something sticks. Yeah. Whereas if you actually get the chance to say, what are you interested in? Yeah. How can we develop that into something, anything? And that's when, you know, things start opening up for you and, and projects acquire meanings that you didn't foresee or that you didn't int intend and mm. open up into new meanings and mm. open up into new projects. And it has its own, it takes on its own life in a totally different way suddenly. Mm. And that's the process that's really interesting, I suppose. That's where the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I really noticed is that there's often like, you know, your parents drag you perhaps to museums when you're young or an aunt or somebody and you're like, oh my God, this is awful. Yeah. I'm eight years old. I hate this. Can we please go to the playground or whatever it is? Yeah. But at a certain point, you develop an idea of like, oh, there's all these spaces where you yeah. can go engage with art. And that yeah. happened to me around that age, 18, 19, where you know, I started going to the, the MoMA in San Francisco. Yeah. And then finding out there's a bunch of galleries. Well, they have openings. You can go see art. You know, and all of a sudden, this whole world opens up, which was completely invisible, more or less. Yes. You knew there were museums, but that was about all you knew. You know, yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's this whole thing here. Yeah. No, that's really interesting you say that. And I think this good art teacher, interestingly, um, one of the things that she did was to once a month organize a kind of gallery trip around galleries in London and museums. And we had to come back and we had to write about the exhibitions, mm. um, which made you kind of, well, it forced you to engage with the art that you were looking at in a totally different way. And also just the fact that it was regular enough to start to develop skills in looking at art. Which is crucial. It's, yeah, it's not something that um, is easy to do at first. Not at all. It's not, it's not necessarily natural, necessarily. Yeah. You know, it's more of a passive thing. Yeah. You stand, you look. Yeah, which is, it can be infuriating when people have this idea that art should just be something that everyone should get immediately, and otherwise it's, it's, it's kind of stupid and pretentious and elitist or whatever. Right, the um, populist idea that it really, who does this serve? And yeah. yeah. It's funny that art has to defend itself constantly. Yes, it you is. Know, football gets yeah. X amount of dollars, pounds, euros support. And it never has to justify its existence. No. And there's even, you know, it doesn't even really have to deal with issues of violence, <clears throat> homophobia, racism. You know, there's like plenty to grab onto there. And I'm not, you know, I, I like soccer. Soccer's good. Fine. But, but, you know, it doesn't have to defend its existence yeah. like art constantly yes, does. Yes, absolutely. Everyone thinks that they should be an expert in art. Well, they know best, you know, this, this kind of attitude. I know what I like and... Mm. Yeah. And that's... And this isn't this it. Is it. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore, get me yeah. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, kind of wild to think about that it has to, like, basically go through cycles of justifying existence. Yeah. You know, and I've also... I mean, the problem also is we bemoan... Like you were just saying earlier, you don't really like art fairs. A lot of people don't like art fairs. Uh, we have to bemoan or pretend like there isn't a commercial aspect to it mm -hmm. or in uh, a certain type of, let's just call it elitism or at least hierarchical 
structures that exist, just like they do in everything. Yeah. You know, when my wife starts trashing me for the art world, I say, okay, look at banking, look at universities, look at anything. Yes. There's nothing that doesn't have a hierarchy. No, of course not. But art has to pretend like it is a flat earth where everybody's equal, everyone has access. Yeah. Nothing works like that. No, no. And that makes it hard to, yeah. you know, somehow that fairy tale. I mean, maybe it's time to drop that and just say, okay, art is accessible for everyone, but there sure as shit is a lot of layers. Mm. But yes, yeah, it's, it's strange though that like art fairs have become things that the public are sort of encouraged to go to and to look at art there um, as if it was a museum. Mm. <laughs> and I find that quite odd because the conditions for looking at the art are not good conditions normally right. i mean not always uh, it can be good but but it's, even compromised yeah. even at its best it's yeah. compromised though yeah yeah it's true uh, although you know i like i go to photo paris once a year because i it's just that there isn't a space where you have that many that's true places yeah. in it's, one space it's so it is good to just check out but it is quickly <laughs> what, what 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 is going on but yeah, yeah. it is a goat market as they say in danish you know it is like there's no there's no hiding what it is this is a temporary no. house of sales this could be shoes this could be art obviously it's not shoes they have you yeah. know, whole different structures going but in theory this is a place where you put your wares on the wall and you hawk your wares yeah but then again you get to see uh i don't know let's say our paris a uh, hundred different galleries in one spot that you wouldn't otherwise get to see yeah so as a member of the public i do find it interesting yeah but it's not for me you can tell like they look at me and they're like you are not a buyer have a have a glass of wine and beat it you know <laughs> which which is i guess a little uncomfortable yeah but how did you, to go back to the formation, you got an MFA then. An MA. MA. Yeah. Um, and then... So that was in photography. And then um, what? You know, so there you are, you graduated. Um, I'm trying to think what happened. Um, well, I just started, as, as most people do, I just got a part-time job tried to keep my rent low and then spent at least I always tried to keep it as a, as a minimum of two or three days a week um, on my own artwork rather mm. than other work so um, and I think I was being quite I was quite realistic that I wouldn't perhaps have some kind of instant success and so took a kind of more long-term view of how to try to set up my life where there, there would be a sustainable way of having a practice. That's, uh, that's um, reality, and it's smart to think of that immediately, you know, because there is, there is a yeah. need to be able to last for the long term. Yeah. Statistically, there is going to be maybe success, some sort of financial stability at some point, maybe you know, yeah. through art. So, so that, that is absolutely true that you have to set it up. And it's funny also, you know, a city like London is really expensive. A city like Copenhagen is really expensive. And I think, yeah. you know, I'm always like, Oh my God, it was so cheap then oh. just by nature the fact that it was 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it wasn't at all. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 
and uh, um, <clears throat> and I suppose in the um, in the beginning, like everyone, it's just a, a joining together with other artists and doing a lot of group shows, like self self uh, put together shows. Yeah, some self put together and some that others have have put together. Mm. Um, but you kind of help each other in a way and build up your your network and, and context and, and create. How important your, was that, that, that kind of uh, uh, teamwork aspect of it? I think um, in, during that time, around college time and right after college, it was really important because that was, um, that was the way to, to exhibit your work because otherwise... <laughs> it might not happen and in the I end as an artist Lloyd. I always thought it was really important to show the work hmm. um, that aspect of it is really important to me I don't want to just make art in the studio or in my bedroom that no one ever sees it's like that that public presentation of it um, really has to happen so it, it was kind of crucial to um to make exhibitions happen if they didn't just happen naturally. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of what you may or may not have felt about it, you know? I mean, because I find that to be true, too. There are, like, people... Me, I'm very guilty of this. I get ahead of myself, and I think, like, oh, I wouldn't want to show at that sort of place or this sort of place, you know, because I want to be in a different league or something. Right. But the general rule of thumb is show everything always as much as you can. Yeah. Because if nothing else, you get experience. Yeah. And you get to put some sunlight on your works and you 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 literally see them differently when yeah. you hang in public. Yes. And you get this whole like, oh, that works, this doesn't work. You know, there's this kind of harsh flip where it just becomes like, oh, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have never been super selective about um, exhibitions. I mean, recently I have become a little bit more selective because as my work has got a bit more known, I get more requests and can't perhaps do everything that doesn't seem that <laughs> important. It's um, a matter of resources. Now. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I think previously I would, I would really give most things a go, which, yeah, as you say, just adds to, to your experience and, and uh, you find different ways of showing things or in new contexts or uh, you make new friends. <laughs> it's funny how much I met a guy once who talked about uh, he was like in Denmark this thing we call networking is called nepotism in Africa you know like there's this whole yeah. idea that like uh, you know but it's true you call if I was to put together a show tomorrow in Copenhagen yeah I would contact a lot of people I know and respect and yeah. enjoy their artwork yeah and I wouldn't put up artwork I didn't like, even though I liked the person, Yeah. but I would know most of the people whose artwork I would choose, Yeah. you know? So there is that whole thing that you do develop these spheres of influence and relationships with people mm -hmm. and you, you know, but you still have respect for the work, Yeah. you know, I, in its foundation, you're like, that is good work. I like this. Yeah. And I like talking to this person about this work, you know? It's true, yeah. But the art world is especially entangled, I think, in this way. And sometimes it does go overboard. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of artists out there, too. Yeah. But, I mean, sometimes you see uh, 
literally people giving funding to their spouses and <laughs> it can like that's perhaps crossing the yeah line, you know, i mean like, but this seems to be kind of a uh maybe that one is a bit extreme but um but there seems to be hardly any kind of internal regulation of the of the how the art world operates right. when it comes to nepotism <laughs> which is just i suppose the way it is and has always been yeah it's uh, it's yeah it's it's how it works yeah. i mean it's the same thing in uh, you know banking once again yeah. or whatever else you know yeah. world is uh, is the arts in London very state driven? Is there a lot of state funding? No, there's with? not. Uh, I mean, it's uh, so it's mostly private foundations and such when it comes to grants and uh, I, that sort of stuff. I mean, you can get funding to do a project, um, but there's a very limited amounts of money. I think compared to most of West, uh, most of Europe. Or, Denmark's a lot of money. It's in gonna, that sense. yeah. It's going to get worse because now Britain is leaving the European Union and a lot, which brought in some money by itself. Right. So. Um, and flow, you know, connectivity. Yeah. And that sort of so stuff. it's um, it's a really tragic situation in terms of the, in terms of Britain and of course the art world as well. Yeah. So we can only hope that they make the best of the situation, which it doesn't look very likely at the moment. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. Um, uh, covering my eyes with my hands kind of things going on. But to bring it back to art, I was, uh, I was also curious also about, you know, you, you become involved in a certain scene when you're, when you're young and kind of recently graduated and it's all very exciting and you don't sleep very much. And there's a lot of yeah social life connected to it, etc. cetera. Mm. Where does it take a turn or how, even better, does it take a turn to a more uh, professionalized? Is that the right word? I don't know. To a more... Um, mm. Do you know what I mean? Like where yeah. it becomes less do-it-yourself and more part of a system, a pre-existing system. You know, like how, did, like how does that turn happen? Is it just meeting people or is it actually applying for things? Or um, That's a really tricky question because I don't think it's... Um I think it happens gradually and it the two connect up I would say um cuz for me it was one of the things was this initial um burst when you're young and going out and seeing people and meeting people and building up these networks and then you get a little bit older and then what happens is that some of those people that you met and connected with they get suddenly get into more important positions perhaps in the art world. So the connections that you make just take a step up. So right. you Everything kind of, rises. yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of what happens. Mm. And then I think applying for stuff was a good thing for me as well. Um, at one point I just, for a few years, I just applied to lots and lots and lots of things and it just kind of totally spread out my I don't know, network or whatever you right. want to call it, a, a step further. Right, just lobbing it, lobbing it out there constantly. Yeah. And, a lot of, yeah. and it also and teaches then, you an experience in how to present what yeah. you do and feel comfortable with both rejection and, and also just dissemination. Yeah, and then there's some key things like in... Uh, 
So um, I was nominated for this photography prize in Arles in 2012. Um, That's a big one. Arles and is a well-known Yeah, so lots of people kind of go to that. Mm. So that was a big it kind of breaking moment where, where um, it just put my work out there to a much bigger audience suddenly and, and lots of um, press picked up on it mm. and uh, other people and then got further exhibitions from that. Um, no, I didn't apply for it. I was, uh, I think they ask, or they, this is how they used to do it. They used to ask four or five different people to nominate three people each or something like that. So you'd definitely already been out there, you know, you'd been showing work. People were... Certain people were aware of what you were doing. Yeah, so I was nominated though by a, a former um, uh, tutor of mine at the Royal College, um, Olivier Richon, who who runs the photography course there. So that year they had asked art educators to nominate three people each. Shout out to Olivia. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so he, um, yeah, so he nominated me and two other of his former students. Mm. So. Um, which was a great, great thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's been a few other sort of um, key people, like another former tutor of mine, Ruth Blees Luxembourg, has been really supportive of my work and always pushed me into exhibitions and Having <laughs> ambassadors yeah. is good. Yeah. You know, people who, who, you know, carry the flag. Yeah. However small it might be, just having somebody yes. outside of your own... Hey, me, look at me, look at me, look at me. You know, having someone else say, look at her. Yeah. You know, that is a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. Than just trying to drum it up yourself constantly. Yeah. It's the same same idea, but uh, this this thing of uh, building up your network and keeping in touch with people, like we only met today because I, I kind of sent out this email about a show I'm doing. And some people tend to think, oh, people don't want to get emails and stuff like that. But I find people are really responsive to that. And um, and it, it reminds people that you exist. And I was, um, I, I kind of call lots of people in the network, I kind of name them as sleeping agents. Mm. <laughs> because you never know when someone's going to kind of wake up and... Right, Remember you all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and kind of do something suddenly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's true that, that, that that's where self-promotion kind of divides. There's the self-promotion, which is me, 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 look at me, look at me, look, look at me. And then there's the self-promotion, which is like, if you're interested, there yeah. are some channels. Yeah. And I will keep feeding those channels. You don't have to look. You yeah. can look if you want. You know, and there's a very big difference between those two types of self-promotion. Yeah. And I think that you're absolutely right. You know, you just build up over time, ever so slowly, a uh, sleeper cell um, of agents, you know, and you don't know where they are. You don't know what they're doing that day they receive that mail. Yeah. Just like I'm on your mailing list and, you know, I've gotten your mails now for several years. And then all of a sudden I got a mail which fit perfectly into, holy shit, she's in Stockholm. I'm in Stockholm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there we go. Yeah, and this happens not all the time, but, but I mean, this, this does happen. You know, people that I have not seen for 10 years suddenly go, 
oh, that's really interesting. Your mail made me look at what you're doing now and um, maybe you're interested in doing this together. Mm. So, yeah, just you never know. What, you do you know, never know. <laughs> what's, you know, what the next collaboration is going to be. Well, there's a lot of yeah. luck in it, too, that comes out of being prepared and being present. You know, you can call it luck. There's that whole, you know, there's a whole science. There's people who think a lot about what time of day you should send an email. Yeah, but this it, is it's horseshit. It's yeah. But, but that it is, it is true that you may or may not catch a person at a moment in which they can even lend a yeah. second of attention to something or not. Yeah. Now, whether you can predict that or not, eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, but, yeah. but, but, you know, there is the luck of today. They're a little more open to the universe. Yeah. They're going to look at what you're doing, you know? Yes, you just don't know how it fits in. That's just, yeah. Uh, but again, that's a matter of being present and having a lot of different connections mm-hmm. and a lot of different people you know who are doing a lot of different things. Mm. And it just kind of, you know, and, and, and you're a great example of an artist who's been very open because I think this is the third time I've tried to contact you for this program, maybe the second time. And it hasn't worked out for whatever reason before, but each time you're open enough to respond mm-hmm. and say, Hey, that's right. I remember you, et cetera, et cetera. And, and a lot of people aren't that open. Okay. But I think, yeah. I think that is a, a thing that kind of ebbs and flows. And when you're open in that way, other people are also open to you. Yes. I think that's true. Uh, probably. And I think that's probably an important tool for a lot of artists is to just kind of like, generally have their feelers out yeah kind of everywhere and see what's going on what etc etc yeah and also be interested in what other people are doing i think is a key thing yeah you know like whatever what's good for you is good for everybody in most cases yeah you know um i was just curious if you saw yourself as a photographer still um no i suppose i never really have that much Mm. (laughs) um um, um, but I suppose, well, I did a photography MA, mm-hmm. um, but I had kind of gone into that because I was working with photographs, but I was at that point, um, always kind of manipulating them in, in Photoshop. So it was the kind of act of this collage work that was more important always to me than, uh, than the photograph. I never knew how to take a photograph. And the capturing. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I knew how to use Photoshop. Right. Um, so, so I kind of came into photography via Photoshop, weirdly. Mm. Um, and, and I did this um, MA in photography. And of course, I took pictures during that MA and I put them together and I, and I made works that are photographic and I still make works that are photographic. Um, but for me, it's, it's more of an interest in photography. Um, so I, I suppose now I usually say I'm an artist that works with photography, um, which is a bit more accurate. Um, because I still don't know how, how to properly take a <laughs> professional f- photograph, if, you, if there is such a thing. Yeah, um, I mean, that's... that's... Um, so, um, but sometimes people ask me to kind of do a shoot or something like that. Well, I, did, I get a lot of requests from the fashion industry to do stuff like that. And I always say, no, that's not the way I work. 
So in the last few years, I've just been using um, other people's photographs or third-party photographs in my work pretty much. So whereas I started with taking my own pictures and putting them together in new kind of collages, now I tend to start with um, a found image and then work from there Mm -hmm. and change it in some way, whether that's still with Photoshop or if it's in the darkroom or if it's um, creating a new um, sculpture thing in response to that picture or whatever it may be. So there is some analog element to it. You do do darkroom work or have done darkroom yes, work. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you could argue, you know, there are those uh, photographers. And let's go ahead and admit it. The photo world is a, um, you know, if the art world is biased and small and a little xenophobic, then the photo world is even more so. You know, and there are those people who are like, oh, it's just digital manipulation. You know, it can easily get categorized in that sense. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I think there's probably some people who are like, oh, oh, use a darkroom. Oh, that, okay, now it's more photographic all of a sudden. It, it, airs, it has airs of authenticity somehow, you know. Do you yeah. think at all about that, the materials and what they mean to the viewer? And Yes, I do think about it. And different projects call for different things, I think. And I I tend to use what is appropriate for that particular idea or that particular project. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, so. But there's no, there's no, you know, it's whatever fits for the specific yeah. idea. Yeah. What about research? Is that a, is that a big part of your practice? Um, yeah, I think it is really. I mean, are you actually out digging through photos at, uh, at antique stores and, um, I do it all online actually. Oh. Um, usually I buy thing buy photos and magazines and materials, um, on internet auction sites. So, um, yeah. So it's all, <laughs> it all starts on the computer screen, <laughs> looking through things online. And I don't buy, it's strange, but I don't buy sort of crazy amounts of material. I sort of, um, I, I buy the stuff that I, I'm pretty sh- I might not be sure I'm going to use it, but I'm, I'm quite selective already at the stage of, of buying right, my the material. Right, developed beforehand. Yeah. And then you're looking for things to execute said idea. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I buy, um, often new projects come about more by chance, by finding something by chance mm. that sparks mm. a, a continued engagement um, or, or an idea. Um, but once... Uh, but sometimes I kind of know what I'm looking for. So then I just look for that thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do have a very specific vision. Um, when I was introduced to your work, it was probably around the time of Arl, 2012, yeah. 2013. And uh, these images, which appear to me to be 1950s-ish yeah. magazine, yeah. home living I'm not sure exactly how to categorize them, but but yeah. anybody who sees them would be able to place them in a certain yeah socio cultural economic context. Yes, uh, but they were very specific, extremely specific. Yes, and you could tell that it wasn't just chance that brought these images together. You knew what you were looking for. Yes, it's true. So um, 
yeah, with that particular um, project, I the first image. Uh, it, this is a project called Drape, I think. Yes, and. The first uh, image that I made kind of came about by chance. I'd bought some vintage pinup images, or they had arrived with something else as an extra compliment or, mm. or something, and <laughs> and uh, and the first image came about by this kind of chance encounter. But once I n- knew what I wanted for the rest of the images in the series, I I looked very specifically for. Um, what I imagined were nineteen late nineteen fifties or nineteen sixties um, pinup images, where there was a model and she had to be indoors in a domestic interior, and there had to be a a curtain or a drape behind the model. So a very specific set of um, <laughs> right the criteria, criteria exactly yeah. that say okay unless all these boxes are checked yeah. it doesn't work for yeah me. exactly which in fact is probably a really really good tool for a lot of artists because as you go and get more experience your your vision becomes more specific and there is that problem in the beginning that you're kind of all over the place and there is definitely a problem with found images where there's a feeling of this is what i happen to find so that's what i'm using yes there isn't that preconceived notion uh, you know, and found imagery is it's a whole niche, yeah, you know of 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 the photo world. And I've also done a project with found imagery, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of questions about like, is this even relevant because of the amount of images, yeah, uh, that people seem to reuse, and mm-hmm. you know this. How many projects have old glass plate negatives that people have found or, yeah, you know, so it is, it, 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 it's, it's a tricky path to negotiate. It, it is. I suppose what I'm like really interested in is this, um, act of looking and what it is to be a viewer of, of photography, of photographs. Mm. And I try to kind of, um, look at what that process is how we look at those specific images. And so in recent years, it's uh, it's been very focused on how we look at erotic images. Um, Women. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, camera gaze as male gaze. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of the work ha- has been dealing with this vintage imagery um, I suppose I was interested in that kind of time in the 1960s where um, the where women were actually going out into the workplace en masse for the first time um, but at the same time in the men's magazines women were often depicted in a domestic situation um which I find really interesting that there was this desire to kind of keep the woman within the bounds of the house at the time when, when she was kind of breaking free from that. Right. That was like the last ditch attempt to stop something, which was I already don't know. started. I think. Well, then there's a huge generational. Yeah. Divide. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah. So that period of time is really interesting for me, but it's interesting now as well, where I don't know, I can see a kind of, backlash 
against feminism developing. And I mean, we see Trump coming into power in America, which is incredible that so many women voted for him. And, and this kind of return of a really conservative, traditionalist um, society, which I think there will be, um, yeah, be interesting. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that it, is, it is kind of uh, jaw-dropping to me. Because yeah. I think a lot of us assumed things were just going the right way yeah. ever so slowly. I think so, too. there may have been steps missteps here and there yeah but in general the ship was going the right direction yeah and now we're just kind of like oh shit i know there yeah. was well, there was something happening behind us yeah that none of us really but it's saw. interesting as well because if we think about it i mean these things had we'd had since the whatever late 60s women were going out into the workplace but still you know, women are not earning as much. You know, women are in all the low-paid jobs, etc. So there's a... Um, maybe just people like Trump and Putin makes us realize, oh, my God, this is... Um, there's this a lot is not, more people. There's a lot there's... more to be done, but now there's setbacks to that even. Um, uh, and there's a kind of... Yeah, it's interesting, the whole set up yeah again it's a question of whether it'll wake some people up and get things moving again yeah. or whether we really are going backwards in what i would see as the right direction yeah uh my wife is an anthropologist who works at an it university studying the gendering of computer jobs yeah and why there's more or less no women in computers and stuff and it's pretty jaw-dropping some of the beliefs people have. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of like, well, boys just naturally like computers better. <laughs> you know, yeah. Women are more, uh, yeah. they're more interested in taking care of people. Yeah. You know, these sort of statements where you're just like, oh, these are like well-educated, seemingly liberal adult mm -hmm. men usually yeah. uh, who have these ideas. Yeah, yeah. And you're just kind of like, oh, we are not anywhere near no, where I no. thought we were exactly. in a lot of ways. I think this is really true. Yeah. Sometimes when you are in the art world, which is a very open, brilliant place to be, you kind of forget that the whole world is not like the art world. Mm. <laughs> I did an interview with an artist uh, in the fall here. Yeah. And he said something, which was a throwaway line, which has really stuck with me later. He's from L.A. And he just said, um, yeah, I think most of the world's waiting around to get the message that it's okay to be racist. <laughs> yeah. And I was, uh, it was the total throwaway line. But then the election right. happened yeah. and then all this stuff happened. And I was like, holy shit, yes. I think he was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I had completely not seen that. No, coming that. I mean, yeah. we always knew they were racists. Yeah. We always knew that. But it was never sexist. okay to say that openly that you are. Yeah. yeah. Which is a huge, huge difference. Right. The Just, legitimization of yeah. that is, is kind of the new news of the day, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, do you see that affecting your work at all? Or do you, is that like part of your, your thinking now about work? 
I think, I, I don't know yet, because I think it's happened quite quickly, all this in the last year. And I think it was incredibly distracting in terms of making work this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe in terms of all professions, maybe the whole productivity of <laughs> like, right, the world would have just gone down massively because everyone was just totally stressed out checking the news every five minutes. Um, <laughs> so I think it's too early to say how this will impact mm. work. Well, it's interestingly coincided with you taking a kind of new direction in your work. Yes. I suppose that's kind of started a bit before, I think, but a bit coincided. Yeah. Yeah. So. What about the new project? Do you like, I, 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 I must admit, I haven't had yeah. that much of a chance to check it out. Well, I've just, the last, in the last few projects, I have kind of, stepped away from just exhibiting a two-dimensional photographic work to making three-dimensional work that sits together with the photographs so like a relationship um, between wall and space yes exactly so i've been looking again at um the same kind of imagery i've been looking at for some time these vintage pinup images and I've been looking specifically at the fabrics that surround the models um, that have this kind of quite intimate relationship with the bodies of the model and an intimate relationship I suppose with the, the, the fantasy of the, of the viewer or um, um, and I've tried to make new fabrics that are based on these old fabrics in the pictures. So I've kind of made new patterns, fabric patterns, um, that include kind of photographic information from the original picture, like uh, creases in the fabric, foreshortening in the pictures. And so I make a new t pattern um, and then I print onto silk or linen or cotton, whatever. So I end up with um, 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 yeah, with this new textile that I have used to upholster chairs or as a material to make curtains or these kind of sun lounger cushions <laughs> from the pictures in a way. Yeah, so they come there it's like a it's like a kind of mutated form of the picture it's like these objects have been spawned out of the pictures themselves it sounds like a lot of fun yeah because photography is so often based on uh manipulating um what you see as a viewer but not manifesting yeah I mean, in that difference yeah i was interested in kind of breaking down the boundary of the photograph um, so photographs are like these incredible things where you kind of s imaginatively step into the picture and, and it's, and it's kind of all there for your taking yet. It's, uh, it's a picture on the wall. It's totally inaccessible. It's just a surface. So I kind of wanted to break that up by making something actual three dimensional come, come from it in a way. And, uh, and having a, this tactile 
element being born from it. So it kind of pits the um, um, yeah, the kind of inaccessible with the accessible. It's a lot of fun to design exhibitions in that way, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because we've so often been like, here's a stack of frames. Yeah. Where do we hang them on the wall? Done. And I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas you have a lot more relationship with, like, how does the room flow? Yeah. Where does this picture go in relation to this object? Yes. Uh, It makes it much more, in my mind, viewer-based. You think a lot more about the human bodies that are going to inhibit the space and be looking and engaging yeah. with the artworks. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I suppose I'm beginning to think much more about um, installations rather than sort of pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it seems like photography in general mm. is coming off the wall yes. now. Yes. There is it's a an big exciting movement. time for it. I it think. is. And it seemed like it was in the doldrums maybe, you mm. know, in 2008, 9, 10. You know, I'm yeah. still looking to be Jeff Wall. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, things really took a turn to a more uh, research, experiment, process-based, yeah, material-based yeah. uh, kind of practice, which is, which is terribly exciting. Also for the people like me who have very much been interested in photographic materials mm-hmm. as sensitized materials that record, Yeah, you know. So, so in that sense, we're really in a way, in a beautiful period for photography. Yeah. Uh, even though no one wants to be called a photographer anymore. No, that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> it's a shameful, shameful thing. No, it shouldn't be a shameful thing. I just, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I'd love to be called a photographer. I need to just learn how to but everybody my, do my camera now. settings. <laughs> but I mean, that goes yeah, along with the accessibility of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, because that's the thing now, too. Photography used to be. I worked at a camera store, for example, when the digital thing happened. Yeah. And I watched kind of overnight, at least about a year or two period, it go from being like a very exclusive photographers know how to take pictures. Mm-hmm. You pay them to take pictures for you because whatever you do looks like garbage to being like, oh, my cousin has this pretty nice yes. digital camera. We can give him a case of beer and he can photograph our wedding. Yeah. Which you is- know, and that happened pretty fast, actually. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's great. Which means photographers had to invent other ways to talk about image yeah. making, yeah, absolutely, and, and integrate it into other practices, yeah, um, which is great, you know. Yeah, crisis precipitates change. Exactly, <laughs> that was really good. Are you working? Yeah. Aren't you working with project uh, with images from Mars too? Um, yes, that's uh, well. It's an old project actually. Is so it? it's, it's pretty done and dusted. Um, um, Oops, that's me. But I, that's Behind part of the it. of this, this exhibition at Moderna Golden Sunset, mm. um, as well as some of uh, the newer work from 2016. I guess that's so why I a, thought it was yeah. because I just saw it now being shown at Moderna. Yes. So um, yeah, that project is uh, from 2007, I think. Oh. So almost 10 years old wow. now. So what I, at the time, um, in 2007, NASA had these two rovers on Mars that were going around taking pictures and samples. Um, and they were putting these images um, out on their website in quite high resolution um, for anyone to kind of use 
Um, NASA has a huge and amazing archive yes, of exactly. quality images yeah. that are just free for anybody. Exactly. So, um, so I started, I was totally fascinated with these images when I first saw them. And I thought they were really interesting because they were, um, they were supposedly like the most objective images you could find. The, these were pictures taken by robots on a planet that no one had ever even been to. And so they were just kind of, at first glance, they were kind of totally devoid of human in, you know, um, what do you say? <laughs> like a uh, human right, interaction. Or, uninfluenced. Yes, uninfluenced by humans. But then when you started looking at them closer, they were kind of outputted at these panoramas that were quite roughly stitched together. And also the coloring in them was really different in different panoramas and in different pictures. And I started looking into that and NASA writes that, oh, it's the approximate color on, on Mars. Because, of course, no, one, no human has ever been to Mars, so no one actually knows what the colors on Mars look like with, uh, with, with, the, with the human eye, you know, in the atmosphere of Mars. So they're kind of guesses. So they output them in these kind of quite varying color schemes right, because no they're guesses. baseline to work off of. No. <laughs> So, 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 in fact, the really, really constructed images uh, from the human point of view, uh, so they're very subjectively made by, the, by NASA. But following on from, from them being uh, these very objective images, I was interested in them being these extreme distance shots um, taken from a different planet. And I was wondering how, how that could be kind of combined with an extreme close-up instead of something very earthly. Um, and I outputted these NASA digital images. I asked in the lab to make them into like 35 millimeter negatives for me. Right. That I then, and then I left all these negatives around my um, apartments to gather dust and then I brought them into the darkroom and printed them with the dust still on top of the negative. So there are kind of these combinations of the landscape of Mars together with the dust, my dust from my Human apartment. Dust. Human dust lying on top of them, um, which shows up as these kind of white swirls in the actual pictures. Mm. So they kind of interact with the landscape becoming, I don't know, they look like insect flight patterns or store electrical storms or mm. something weird going on there. They're um, really beautiful. But yeah, I was kind of interested in that whole idea of uh, NASA outputting these images as, as the future. You know, this is how humans are going to have eternal life, basically. Mm. <laughs> this idea of Mars when we um, leave this planet behind. <laughs> When we're done, fucked it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and so there is this kind of, yeah, this idea of eternal life through Mars. Um, and I was interested in the dust denoting death. Um, mm. Dust is mostly made up of dead skin, hair that we've lost. So, yeah. So it's that. It's, it's, it talks about a lot of opposites, the distant shot, the close-up, death, eternal life. Long distance, short distance. Yeah. The um, the ideal, the ordure, yeah. 
Did you, uh, did it feel weird to revisit that work, it being 10 years old for a show now? Actually not, because it keeps, it's, it's actually never really gone away, this okay. work. Um, it was shown last year in a exhibition called um, Dust, I'm just trying to remember the full title, in, in, at Le Bal, um, in an exhibition curated by David Campany. That's um, traveling to the Whitechapel Gallery in the autumn. So it had a kind of big showing again last year. And, um, and it's had various... It, it never seems to have really gone away in those 10 years. Well, that's so, nice. Yeah. I mean, because there's a lot of, God knows as an artist, often you make work and it just sinks down into obscurity. You yeah. know, and that's it. Uh, and it can be hard to keep things alive, especially if it's work you're still happy yeah. about. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really still really happy about this piece. I think it's, um, I think it's a good, you know, it, it sort of sparked off lots of thoughts in my work mm. that have carried on since. So it's, it's great to mm. see it up and running still. <laughs> Living, gathering dust. Yeah. Did you, um, what, what are you working on now? Um, what's, what's coming up? <clears throat> if I may be so bold. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think actually what's coming up. I'm, uh, um, the next, uh, sort of solo exhibition I'm working on will be in Athens in June. Is that the photo festival there? Um, well, I, I don't know if it's coinciding with it. Or, Sounds like yeah. it. It's in June. And I think document is coinciding with the end of Documenta as well. Um, and uh, so I hope to make a few, you know, a little bit more new work for that. But it's That's a kind a of... it's a kind of, of time. Well, it's come about very quickly, the exhibition. So it's going to not just be new work. It's right. going to be a, a kind of a curated highlights with some new work. Greatest hits. Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's fun, yeah. though. Sometimes, sometimes it's really nice to have a show that isn't going to destroy you emotionally, financially, and... Uh, yeah, uh, you know, physically to produce because there are those events where you just work for four months nonstop. And yeah, it almost kills you, and it's like giving birth to a child. You know, it's amazing, but sometimes it's also nice to be like, "Well, I have this work; it's already framed." There you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, just to have at it. You know, because you can't always be just running on ninety nine percent. Absolutely, you know? or it's else true. You're just going to burn the hell yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, what else have I been doing? I've been doing a lot of kind of re-photography as well, sort of photographing details from these old pin-up magazines. You which, know how to use a camera. Um, <laughs> not really. <laughs> it's, it's very hit and miss. <laughs> I have to <laughs> do a lot of trying. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that's been quite fun. And so, um, and it's nice... And that's work that I see as ending up again in magazines or in book form. Hmm. So it goes back to a printed page. So that's kind of in process, but hmm. unfinished. Well, I mean, to wrap it up, 
you've been very generous with your time. We've gone an hour now. Okay. Um, to wrap it up, I'm, I'm curious about what I was talking about at the beginning, which is like, how does, how do you, let's not put it on everybody, let's just put it on you. How do you keep the original impetus to making art alive? Um, well, it's, it's strange. I mean, often I think about um, stopping and I constantly considering... It can be miserable. That's yes, I'm constantly thinking, oh, what other jobs can I do? Or um, what can I retrain as? Fashion or, photography. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, so this is um, a constant question of why do I still do Why this? do we put ourselves through this? But in fact, when I'm not doing it, I'm actually quite miserable. And so I noticed this quite clearly that if I have a break from making artwork... I get kind of unhappy and uh, and so making work seems to be quite um, important just in terms of my general well-being and um, right, somewhere inside I of need you, to have a kind of output of engaging with the world through making art which puts the question to the greater society like should not everyone be having more of a creative output? Maybe. Yeah. It, there are moments in which I think if only everybody had the freedom and the time yeah. to think all along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Because it is, it's not survival thinking. No, I think it's really essential. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I ask myself a lot of questions about the role of ego. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean ego as in narcissism. I mean ego as in your own yeah. self-worth and drive, you know. And for whatever reason, uh, yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know. <laughs> Just keep at it anyways, even though sometimes yeah. you're driving yourself crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no other way, really. There's not really an option. <laughs> That's right. We're yeah. here. We're here. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music was kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by Arcee. You can find links to their music and tons of other conversations with great people on our high-speed train of a website, undergang.net. If you do like the show, we would appreciate it if you take a quick moment to leave a review or some stars on iTunes so others can find us. This is the best way to help. This show is produced in part with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thank you so much for joining us.